EMS One Academy, a training solution designed for EMS chiefs, offers more than 200 courses and 250 hours of continuing education. Our modern learning solution includes flexible reporting capabilities and features to upload agency-specific courses and track credentials for recertification. Easily streamline daily administrative workflow with EMS One Academy. Start your free trial. Visit www.emsoneacademy.com slash insideems. Well, it's that time of the week again to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sotolero. We have such an exciting show today. Without further ado, I can't do it without my sidekick, without my partner, without my Robin. Kelly Grayson, KG, how are you? I'm good, man. So so I'm the Robin to your Batman. I think you'd have uh, to be. I think you'd have to be. I, I I prefer to think of myself as cat girl to your Batman. But, okay, uh, well okay. you know that's uh, I'll, I'll very be interesting. I'll be your Sancho Panza. I'll be the Sancho Panza to your Don Quixote. How'd that be? If you want to like do it every week, I guess I could be the sidekick on the odd weeks if uh, that makes uh, you happy. Oh, uh, uh, okay. So uh, now, I'm good, man. We've got a really uh, interesting show today, Kelly, and there, yeah. there's uh, probably a lot going on. Usually we spend some time going back and forth, but it's probably best that we kind of get into the show. Uh, but before we do that, we do have three guests that are going to be with us today. So let's go ahead and bring them in so they can briefly introduce themselves. And then I'm going to kick it to you to start off this episode of Inside EMS. So first, coming to us from the Pacific Northwest, just found out she's moved to Seattle. It's EMS royalty every time she joins us. Catherine Counts. Counts, how are you? I'm great. I'm enjoying Seattle. So for the people that may not be familiar with who you are, maybe just give them a little bit of background uh, so they know as you share your expertise. So I am uh, now Dr. Counts, officially, as of last May. I got my PhD from Tulane University in New Orleans. uh, And I'm actually what I guess we could call an EMS researcher. And I was recruited by the University of Washington School of Medicine to work with their Department of Emergency Medicine and the Seattle Medic One program to do QI and research within the city of Seattle. That sounds pretty amazing. And congratulations again, not only your EMS royalty, but you're also the doctor, the official doctor of the Inside EMS podcast. And I'm going to go bit to the great state of Louisiana before we head back to the West. And we always hear Kelly talk about Nancy and Nancy and Nancy. And uh, she's on the show today, and that's Nancy McGee. Nancy, how are you? I'm good, Chris. And just for the people who don't know you, before you give a little bit of your bio, you are the better half of the uh, Kelly and Nancy uh, uh, pairing, I guess, couple, I guess. Um, I I think that's undeniable. Okay, good. I'm glad that we agree on that. See, it's great to have somebody from Louisiana Uh, who agrees uh, with me. uh. (laughs) So, Nancy, just a little bit about who you are. Well, I'm Kelly's partner at Medic Training Solutions. Um, I work as an educator with him, and I also write a column for EMS1.com that I'm a little behind on, predominantly geared towards low-volume volunteer services. And if we go back to the West Coast, and we're going to go really far to the Northwest (laughs) Coast, to the great state of Alaska, the last frontier, Tracy Loscar. Tracy, how are you? I'm well, Chris. How are you? Amazing. It's been a long time since we've visited and uh, for the folks that may not know who you are, and if you don't, uh, you guys got to get on this Tracy train because she is the 
She is an incredible educator. She's an incredible uh, writer, and uh, she's got a lot of fans. But, Tracy, for the folks who don't know you that are not fans, uh, share a little bit about who you are. Um, all right. So I am one of the EMS battalion chiefs for the Matsu Borough in South Central Alaska. Uh, we're an all-hazards department, and I'm in the EMS division, and we cover an area roughly the size of West Virginia. Let's see. This is my 30th year in EMS, and I also write for EMS World. I'm currently doing the Midlife Medic uh, column in the back of EMS World every month, and I also have... Uh, a couple other older columns out there. So I'm a regular contributor for them as well. And I got to tell you, it is a great column. If you're not a fan, get a hold of it. And you're probably the best uh, writer on this show. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Kelly. I, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Kelly, I didn't mean to say that. So I want to go ahead. Uh, I, I, I will concede that. I think Tracy's a great writer. I don't I don't mind being seen as the second best writer on this show. All right, good. Oh, thank or, you, or sir. The, or the third. But Catherine wrote a, she wrote a whole <laughs> dissertation. So I don't know that we can even go there. But I'm going to kind of kick it to you, let you introduce a topic. This was your idea. You thought it was going to be uh, uh, something that we should bring up, and I agree with you. So uh, go ahead and uh, introduce it to the folks. Well, ladies, we've we've all seen the, the Me Too uh, movement play out in the media. We've seen all the, the newspaper reports and the media coverage of uh, sexual harassment and misconduct among pretty much everyone you can think of that's a public figure. Um And with the many sexual assault allegations against Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby and plenty of others, uh, it seems these days as if uh, inappropriate behavior towards women is a major problem, not just in Hollywood, but with uh, all the allegations arising against politicians and other public figures, it's throughout society. Uh, So I figured this would be something we we should cover uh, because uh, still public safety is still a a fairly male-dominated profession. And it stands to reason that those kind of things would, would be uh, of concern to us as well. So I'm going to pose my first question to Nancy. Nancy, how prevalent do you think that misogyny and, and sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior towards women uh, is a problem in public safety? Well, most of my experience has in the workforce has been outside of EMS, and it's very prevalent there. So I think you hit the nail on the head with this being a male, this being male-dominated fields, and somehow in public safety it's become sort of the norm or as if it's okay because somehow this field is different which it's not so i think it's very very prevalent and when we think about this whole concept of you know sexual harassment when we think about bullying in ems uh, and again a lot of that times uh, you know the our female professional peers are involved in that and i guess tracy if if i kind of ask you and i certainly don't want to press i certainly don't want to ask you to drudge up any unpleasant memories but you know, from a uh, work experience, sexual harassment or inappropriate behavior, ha- have you experienced that in the workplace? And how have you dealt with that? So it's really an interesting topic, you know, because you're spanning a couple of generations. And uh, the definition of inappropriate, you know, morphs as, as the culture and society looks at it. The short answer is absolutely yes. And I think you would be hard pressed to find a female in the field who hasn't come into at least one defined incident of inappropriate behavior towards them. I mean, mine started, you know, the interview for my first 911 job when I was 19 years old. Uh, one of the the people interviewing me uh, took my pager number specifically to use for later on. Yes, I went there, I had a pager. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, but yeah, there's been multiple incidents, you know, some were very blatant, you know, I'd have someone come up to my ambulance, open the door and ask if I would sleep with them or have an affair with them or uh, some uh, a little bit more physical than others. And at the time, none of them progressed, you know, you stop, go away, leave me alone. And most of the time they would, but it didn't stop them from approaching you. And, uh, and it, it's interesting culturally, you know, watching now uh, with uh, the Me Too and the other complaints, you know, that you see coming up is I think it's really important to remember that those same people who were engaged in that behavior, you know, 20, 25 years ago are your leaders today. And that's mm. not pointing fingers it's just a generational truth is you know i mean i in without going into detail i have three specific physical incidents and those people went on to become directors and chiefs and high-ranking officials in in one state or another um and those are the people you have enacting policies against that behavior today so i think that's part of why we see such bewilderment in leadership across the board when they're confronted with this stuff because 20 years ago they weren't so there, yeah. there was no background to uh, allow them to draw from on how to approach it and how to best uh, negate the behavior. You know, that's that's one of the reasons why, uh, or probably the main reason I, I thought to have you ladies on the show, because Chris and I banter back and forth on this show every week, and we're a couple of XY uh, <laughs> archetypes, and, and that's just not the place we're coming from. It's It's foreign territory to us. So... You know, when you think about most people in EMS, it, it still being a, a male-dominated profession, that's not our experience. We don't know how prevalent it is, and, 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 and often we can overlook the issue just because we've never personally experienced it ourselves. So, Catherine, my question to you is, it seems as if the prevailing attitude in, in most of public safety is that if you're going to survive in this profession, you got to toughen up and develop a thicker skin and... And, and that sort of thing. We've probably said it to, to our colleagues, uh, our rookies in EMS as well. So while many may think that that attitude applies to all new members of the profession, how much of it carries an unspoken message to women that they're going to have to behave like one of the boys to fit in? So I think, and this kind of goes back to what Tracy was talking about, generational differences and this idea of maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago and some organizations that are a bit more stuck in the past may still have that model where you have to act like quote unquote, one of the boys. But I, as we start evolving the conversation and as me too brings up this idea of oh wait, discrimination exists and this isn't the appropriate way to be, be behaving in the workplace, then it's less about acting like one of the boys and it's more about just being able to do the job. And if you can act like a woman and still do the job, then that's okay. But obviously 20,000 EMS agencies in the country the trend is going to take some time to filter across all of those agencies. And so there are going to be the early adopters to that mental model. And then they're going to be the laggards that 30 years from now, we're still fighting like sexual and gender-based discrimination in the workplace. It's, it's my sense that there's a whole bunch of laggards still left. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, one of the things too, that sometimes this, this begins very, very simply with, will you go out with me? Will you uh, go out with me? Will you go out with me? Will you go out with me? And then telling those inappropriate jokes. And, you know, sometimes the, the word is no, and that's where it has to stop. But it seems that then it becomes a challenge to those people who are getting the no's that they're going to now start pressing harder and harder. And that's where, uh, you know, uh, um, I guess an innocent will you go out with me starts to turn into abuse. And I think we forget that. But 
you know, as an EMS leader for a long time, you know, anytime there were allegations of sexual harassment or if an individual had a concern of hostile work environments, you know, that's something that you have to take very seriously because if you don't act on those things, Nancy, you do find that those allegations now come out maybe years later and the fact that you never did anything as a leader. But one of the things that we start to see now in organizations that sometimes these incidents aren't reported, Nancy. And why do these things uh, think so many of these allegations are coming out many years later after the fact and were never reported when they happened? Well, simply because there was never any faith that A, uh, you'd be believed, B, that something would be done about it, and C, that there would not be repercussions that just weren't worth it if you wanted to continue in your career field or not be personally abused uh, for reporting. And there's been such a groundswell of support that now people are coming out of the woodwork. And um, I believe 99% of them that, that this has happened to women their entire lives. Yeah, and just a, just a quick story, and I think I've told this story on this show before, Kelly, is that um, I had a friend of mine, and all she wanted to do was be a firefighter. And then she got into the public safety realm, and she got on with a fire department. She was sexually harassed by a battalion chief. Uh, the battalion chief came up through the ranks with the fire chief, and as she went and complained about it, they went ahead and systematically worked her out of the department. Not only did they work her out of the department, but they blackpalled her for other agencies around her so she wouldn't get a job somewhere else that she was a cancer wow. and she was a pain. Uh, you know, and, and now I, I still know her after two decades, and she is a uh, physician's assistant. She doesn't even get to do the job that she wanted to do that her father and grandfather did because of this. Uh, she brought this forward and it caused a challenge. But uh, I know you've got a great question coming as well. You know, I... Well, you you described a, a a very common situation in in your your coworker's case. Uh, the cancer was already so deeply rooted that they they kicked out the chemo, <laughs> um, and and the cancer is still there in that apartment uh, department eating away at it. You know, I can think of of one coworker uh, in particular who our female EMTs avoid him like the plague. Uh, no one with two X chromosomes likes working with him simply because. It's not that he engages in sexual harassment. Um, he, he, he's not lewd and, and uh, leering, you know, your, your typical pervert archetype. He just treats women like they're second-class citizens. Uh, your, your job is to sit there and shut up and smile and hand me equipment and only speak when you're spoken to, and, and I'm in charge of this truck. And it's not because he's in charge of this truck as a paramedic. It's because he's a man and you're a woman. And the women that work with him pick up on that, and they don't want to work with him. Uh, but the problem is, um, you know, the behavior continues because no one reports that sort of thing. So, Tracy, is there an unspoken message in our firehouses and ambulance stations and police stations that this kind of misogynistic behavior is, is part of the game and that the reporting it carries just as much risk to the victim as it does to the uh, perpetrator? Is that why women are reluctant to report this kind of stuff? Um, I certainly think it plays a role, but I, I want to turn it around on you for a second, Kelly. So you you know who this person is, correct? Oh yeah. Have you oh. ever corrected? Have you ever corrected him? Um, I have not been in a position to correct him when I saw the behavior. All I know okay. is, is rumor ever... and 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 third party, right. you know, after the fact sort of things. That this is how he behaves. Right. So. 
uh, have you ever reported him? No, no, I haven't right. reported. Right. So this is <laughs> and this right, and this is exactly what happens everywhere. You know, this is a you know, I have this exact same problem in my department right now. You know, there's a there's a person that we know, and we call him a creeper. He's a creeper. And, and we can't, there's no documentation to support doing anything about it. And I think part of the problem is, you know, um, the Morrison quote, the standard you walk past is the standard that you accept. So if you're walking past this guy and you know, he's engaging in poor behavior, uh, and you're not reinforcing it, that's telling all the women that are working there that they have to deal with it themselves. And how they deal with it may be to be quiet, to avoid, to do whatever else. But it's the whole, it's this whole um, no action. No action is sometimes as bad as, as you know, a negative action. And it, it teaches that the behavior, that even if they report it, if someone like Kelly isn't going to back us up, then why, why bother? Let's just, you know, manipulate the schedule, do what we have to, avoid them, because if we say no, now we're going to be the outlier. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Um, you know, the blue wall of silence, you know, exists across agencies, whether it's police, fire, or EMS, but the wall has no strength if nobody's holding it up. So, you know, yeah. we've already proven a decade into this that going after the leadership isn't working. Even with the evolution of Me Too, you know, taking people off at the head, you know, attacking, going to the leadership saying this is the wrong behavior isn't working. Like you said, we have laggards everywhere. We absolutely do. So maybe, and uh, Nancy and I just discussed this recently, you know, maybe it needs to come from the middle and not from the top. Maybe it needs to be peer. It needs to be straight up peer because you are bound, I am bound by things that you are not. As a line person, you can go up to someone and say that's inappropriate behavior. I don't care what you're doing. I can't do it because they can invoke the union. They can invoke, you know, where's your yeah. documentation? Where's your proof? I have to provide proof. You as the peer don't. So you can create a culture of support as a, at a peer level that I cannot, you know, I simply can't do because I'm bound by our labor partners, you know, to follow a process. Well, so, I'm going to, I'll cop to, I'll cop to your, your criticism. No, I haven't <laughs> reported it and I should have. Um, but then again, it, you, you can also flip that in saying that the way he behaves toward his female partners is is not specifically harassment or a hostile work environment. He's just a jerk. He's just right. a jerk as a partner. And if you reported every jerk partner that you ever had, uh, you'd be spending most of your time in the in the <laughs> HR manager's office. I'm sure that every you know, jerk then, partner, I'm sure every jerk partner has been reported at one time or another. But you know, so as we think about this this process, you know, we've all read the stories, and Kelly, you and I have reported the stories about uh, you know abusive sexual behavior, you know, towards the women in the workplace. You know, we 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 talk about some of the victims that uh, have committed suicide, and, and not just not just on the on the female patients, but we've read stories about uh, men that have been abused and been harassed in their careers. Female, well. exactly. Yeah. And so when we think about this as from a leader standpoint, and we think about our business, right? I mean, we've got that dark humor, and and it kind of crosses that line sometimes. And are we using this humor as a you know as a defense mechanism? But Catherine, I think my question to you is this what's the difference or when do you cross the line between good-natured camaraderie and teasing and creating a hostile work environment 
So I don't think there's a black and white line because with everything, it depends. And this idea that you can, you know, do the 10 commandments of how not to sexually harass your coworkers is probably not going to be very helpful. Although there are the obvious things like don't touch them in inappropriate places. But then I could also say the example of touching is maybe you need to touch their shoulder on a call to communicate something. And so even that has a gray zone. And so you have to read the room and read the environment that you're working in. And then also kind of going back to the, the prior conversation, this idea of if someone's uncomfortable, they have to say something about it. If someone sees inappropriate behavior, they have to call it out. So you create this culture where, okay, we've created, we've drawn the line in the sand. It's not officially black and white established because, you know, those are the far extreme ends of the spectrum. Like don't sexually abuse your coworkers, but that middle gray area is more, uh, colloquially and casually established over time. And that takes leaders that are willing to embrace standing by stronger values. And that also takes kind of middle managers and the lower level employees willing to kind of step up and say, I'm not okay with this behavior. And that's, that's a scary process. Yeah. You know, and that this, you, you know, much of what you said, you know, reading the room and, and, uh, and understanding when it's appropriate and is not is is uh, that, that directly applies to me because that's a dangerous line to tread. You uh, you, you try to joke around, you, you kid. Uh, I'm not immune to it certainly because I'm a joker and a flirt, and and my humor, sense of humor is decidedly off color. Uh, and and I engage in that humor when I'm relaxed and amongst my colleagues and, and friends. Uh, and, and often I, I'm in that mode when I'm standing up in front of a couple hundred people at an EMS conference. Um, uh, but I have no idea whether some of those, uh, those jokes make some people uncomfortable, but they're simply reluctant to call me out on it because I'm Kelly Grayson or reluctant to say anything to Chris, uh, for the same sort of thing because he's Chris Sabalero, you know, and, and I've always, Nancy and I argue about this. I, I say, look, I've, uh, about one in a hundred of my speaker evaluations are uh, calling me out on my poor, my, my inappropriate sense of humor or my language or whatever. And, and I take those things to heart, but I also keep in mind that you can't please everybody. And some people are out there looking for reasons to be offended, but you know, I consider my moral compass pretty well calibrated. I draw the line at mean spirited behavior toward a person. I can joke around all, but if I'm just, it's a pretty simple rule. Don't be a jerk. Uh, and I rely on people calling me out on my behavior when it's unwelcome. So I can kind of rein it in and, and cause I never want to intentionally make someone uncomfortable or, or feel, uh, or, or feel bad in any way. But there's always a possibility that I was doing something and never heard about it because someone was afraid of my reaction and calling it out. So we know what's egregious. We know what's blatant misbehavior and we all know how to approach that. But Nancy, and, and I'm directing this across the couch to my, uh, my girlfriend and partner, we argue about it so often. How do you tell an otherwise nice guy that he's crossing the line? I think you say, you have to say directly, um, I'm not okay with that. That, that. that makes me uncomfortable. That's not okay. And not accept any argument as to why it is okay or that you don't have a right to be offended. I think that in the business that we're in, we are supposed to be taking care of people, not making them feel bad, not making them feel bad about themselves. So regardless of how how simple or uh, benign you think your commentary or 
or behavior is, you have to make sure that what you're doing is not hurting someone else in some way or intimidating them to the point where they won't say anything about it. So you have to accept that when it's told to you that, you know, it might not, it might be a good idea to, to, to tone that down, that, that somebody's looking out for your best interest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, boy, this conversation sounds so familiar. Kelly, tone that down. You know, that not everyone takes it the, the right way. I don't feel um, comfortable that you guys are sitting on the same couch during this show. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I think, Kelly, that I wanted to bring up that I, I think that you were saying, uh, you know, that you're Kelly Grayson and you get one in a hundred, you know, um, uh, you know, evals that say uh, his, his humor was inappropriate. That's one in a hundred. How many people didn't write it on the avowal because they were afraid to say it because you're Kelly Grayson? One yeah. of the things that I may have to challenge you on is to say, as you now go forward, is you know think about those people because we just said you know a couple questions ago why aren't people bringing this up i can't do anything about it as a leader well they may not be bringing it up because they don't want to create those waves so something to think about i guess but you know ladies as we start to get up there in time you know i would really like to get a closing thought from you so this me too movement has really stretched the you know the differences in career fields we talk about sports and we talk about tv and we talk about the movies and we talk about public service so now you ladies that are here on this show you have some some really big clout in our career field you ladies are the leaders in our career field so if you're going to give some advice on how this me too movement is starting out and how public safety can now step up to the plate and do the right things and try Tracy, I'll go ahead and start with you. What do you leave them with? Ah, uh, that's a big order. Um, right, let's go ahead say... and take it. Let's go ahead and take a little order. I'll take a cheese, but no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> I, I would say, you know, to the men, you know, uh, as Counts pointed out earlier, the job is the same. You know, the job is the same whether you're carrying your tool on the outside or inside. Uh, ability is not defined, you know, by your gender. It's just highlighted by it. And, you know, for men, you have to respect them as peers first. You know, respect the women as peers first. Always put that first. Then you can follow it up with, you know, or they're going to get you with their devil vagina magic or something. Um, I knew but- it. I knew it existed. <laughs> Uh, but seriously, respect them as peers. You know, for women, it's a little bit, it's, it's short and sweet. You know, slut is a four-letter word, but so is stop. And, oh, good point. you know, nice. use it, mean it. There is a system to support you, but we can't do it unless you invoke it. There, see, right back to the, right back to the devil magic. Um, <laughs> but for real, say stop, mean it, and we need to adjust culture is a new concept to EMS. It just is. You know, just culture is, is a hard concept to wrap your head around. And if we go ahead and keep curating these responses at the peer level and calling them out and correcting them and, and defining what those parameters and boundaries are going to be, then women will be uh, feel enabled to, you know, enact their own boundaries and, and hopefully report when these things come up. I agree. Catherine, your closing thoughts? I think this is important to be a, a multiple gendered conversation. Uh, this isn't... Uh, just about men or just about women, the harassment goes both ways. Um, and stopping harassment comes from both sides. I also think it's really critical that, I mean, even the two, the two men of Inside EMS podcast are inviting three women from three different generations on their podcast to talk about this and recognizing that maybe y'all might not be the experts in <laughs> the topic. But, Nonsense. 
And maybe just maybe we might bring a different perspective because we personally experienced it, but our perspective isn't just different because we've experienced it. Maybe we just, we look at things differently. We problem solve differently. And this idea that women can bring a unique perspective and ideas to the table is kind of critical. And it goes above and beyond just stopping sexual harassment and kind of improving our status across the industry. And more generically, giving more voices getting more voices of women heard across the country, I think would be critical. Absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, Awesome closing thought. And Nancy, uh, how about you? What what are you going to leave the listeners with? I think we have to understand that we can easily get militant about this because it's a really uh, hot topic that touches all of us. But I think the first thing you need to say when you're, when you encounter that kind of behavior is, I would really appreciate it if you didn't speak to me that way, touch me that way, whatever it is, and not accept any excuses. And if the excuses come, then you just have to say the magic uh, voodoo word that uh, Tracy said. You need to just stop. And at that point, if somebody doesn't get it, you've got to take it up the ladder and continue from there. But I think being respectful to each other and you know pointing it out uh, first before we get all uh, hot and bothered about it is probably um, the best way to go. And from a male standpoint... We've got to be able to be the ones to say, you know what, dude, we're in a different, we're in a different environment now. We're in a different, uh, uh, you know, generation now, and this just doesn't work in the workplace. There are people that are going to have those relationships. There are people that are going to meet at work and get married, and, and you know, we bless those people. But for the people that uh, try to say, let's get together, and the answer is no. The answer should be no, and you just move on. And and Kelly, I think that's going to be my final thought for the show. Yeah, you know, and. We, we've spoken for 35 minutes about gender issues and, and, and how to interact with one another. And the one thing that we've, we've left out here that probably needs to, needs to be said is, is it's not a binary issue. We're sitting here talking about men and women when there are people in our profession who identify as neither or as both. Mm. And, and it's, not a, it's not a binary thing. And those people are discriminated against and treated poorly as well. Um, so I think the bottom line we, we draw from this is, is just don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Whether you're, whether you're, you're, um, male, female, or identify yourself as other, uh, don't be a jerk. And if you wouldn't say it to a loved one or to a trusted friend, don't say it to a colleague. Don't behave that way toward a colleague. If you can, if it flashes in your mind that you think it's possibly inappropriate or, that it could be hurtful or misconstrued, then it's something you should not say. Um, but that's what we think. We ought to hear what you think. Is the public safety workplace inherently hostile towards women? Is it hostile towards gays and transgenders? If so, how do we fix it? How do we become inclusive? Email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And on behalf of my co-host, Chris Ceballero, and our trio of awesome lady guests, Nancy McGee, Tracy Loscar, and Catherine Counts, I'm Kelly Grayson. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. And we'll catch you guys and ladies next week. <laughs>